Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your bags on on Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison, and many people are just listening to this, but a lucky few have tuned into our YouTube channel and are watching this on video because it's a Code 47 episode today, Adam. That's right, Ben. Lucky them getting to look at us during... Code yeah. 47. What's our YouTube channel? It's just is it just youtube.com slash greatest trek? I sure hope it is. <laughs> I'm almost positive that's what it is. That seems to be basically how it works over there on the YouTube uh-huh. website. We got a whole bunch of packages here from folks all over the world, Adam. What do you say we rip into these things? A global community of friends of DeSoto uh, <laughs> spending their hard-earned dollars on postage. <laughs> Got to keep that postal system working. Yeah. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. All right. This first one is from Pittsfield, Maine. It's from Michael B., Kind of a flat package we got here. Uh Uh-huh. Looks like reused famous internet retailer packaging, which I like to see. Oh, yeah. Reuse, more important than recycle in our uh, modern ecological understanding of things. Oh, boy. We've got a uh, a tax documents folder here. (laughs) Oh, don't send us your tax documents. (laughs) I'll say one thing. We are not tax documents professionals, but we are tax document professionals. (laughs) Uh, I like the idea of, uh, this is like one of those hanging file folders that, you know, you put in a a file cabinet kind of situation. That's the kind I prefer. I do like the idea of keeping, you know, lewd materials in a hanging file. That's, That's fun. Yeah. You don't want your lewd materials to slip between. Yeah. This uh, is the letter. Hey, again, Adam and Ben, I have decided to be your Star Trek sex Sherpa since I don't have any special crafting skill or any otherwise desirable talents as it relates to your show. Please enjoy this physical tax documents folder. I can't recommend that you use a blacklight on its contents or even open it as I cannot verify its owner history except that now it belongs to Uxbridge Shimoda LLC. At the risk of mental whiplash, I also wanted to say that it has been a treat listening to Ben's experiences regarding Darone. I, too, am a 39-year-old male that just had his own Darone. Could I Mm. be Mirror Ben? I do have a goatee. I suspect the boy's Darone to be close in age. Mine is knocking on just past six months by the time you receive this. Your stories of his development and the fumbling that happens as a new parent are small assurance that she who is my wife and I are doing at least as good as someone else out there. That being said, the tax documents contained herein may be better placed with Adam, as I suspect he has a little more time on his hands. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Great work on the pod and being the inspiration for a whole host of communities around it. Hello, Discord. It's Bjork Tribe. I'll be back again someday with more memorabilia. Your unofficial Star Trek sex Sherpa, Mike. Wow. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm going to. Mike just 
thrusted himself in that position, didn't he? I guess so. Uh, he created the job and then took that job. This does, in fact, have a Playboy magazine. <laughs> wow. And it's in a Ziploc bag here, so. Is it bagged and boarded? Oh, my God. This says Denise Crosby out of uniform is one of the pictorials in this. I didn't know that existed. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what? I, uh, I'm shocked. Uh, because this is going out on a public video platform, I don't want to open this up and get us demonetized or something. But uh, Wow, no kidding. Yeah, wait until the cameras are off. Yeah. That. You know, personally, I'm excited about the articles in this magazine, Adam. Of course you are. Yeah. Of clothing on the floor. You know, Anton Mount's father used to write for Playboy. Is that true? <laughs> you remember that? That, oh. that bit of trivia? Man. 1988 issue of uh, Playboy Entertainment for Men. It's got a Chivas Regal ad on the back, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pour that Chivas over ice. Take it to the dome. I can't believe that this exists. I had no earthly idea. If I'd known that this existed when I was, like, 13... I don't think I would be here today. <laughs> no, you would have died from an autoerotic injury. <laughs> so sad when that happens. Yeah. When it claims our youngsters. Hey, thanks, Mike. Mike the Sherpa. Yeah. The sex Sherpa. Adam, our next package here is from Ari in Phoenix, Arizona. This is a bubble package. Let's see. Got a note here. Dear Ben and Adam, I'm a long-time listener, first-time Code 47 sender. A few months ago, I went to a local men's underwear store, read <laughs> Gay Sex Shop. What is going on in today's Code 47? Wow. <laughs> today's Code 47s are really putting it on main. <laughs> and I came across the unexpected Star Trek find of a lifetime. Among the horgons and plugs for various body hurls, was a Star Trek Voyager shirt, and not just any Voyager shirt, but one depicting male, shredded versions of Seven of Nine and the Borg's Queen. Borg King? With Seven rocking copious amounts of Nuck. I was a little bit embarrassed to buy the shirt, but how could I not? The more I thought about the Nuck shirt, the more mystifying it became. Why was a Star Trek shirt being sold in an underwear store? Did Big Rod know about this? Who thought up this t-shirt idea, and how... And I shake their hand for making the best piece of bootleg Voyager merchandise ever made. What originally started as ironic enjoyment has become a genuine appreciation for the Nuck shirt. And uh, soon after returning to the store and having to specifically ask for the horny Voyager shirt so that I could buy two more, I give you both the gift of the Nuck shirt. <laughs> Just... Hope you're comfortable enough in your sexualities to appreciate these shirts for what they are. Two pieces of Voyager paraphernalia Garrett Wong can never take from you. Wow. Resistance is futile. Ari. <laughs> I'm positive without seeing these shirts that you of the two of us are the most comfortable with wearing this. <laughs> this is... Uh, ultimate Pranica Cabanica wear. Oh, this is absolute Pranica Cabanica wear here. Oh my god. Yeah, so... Oh my god, you can <laughs> it, you can see the whole outline. Yeah, seven of nine, you know, wearing pants tight enough that you can see what his religious affiliation might be. We need to pull it out. 
Assist me. The Borg King also looking <laughs> absolutely ripped and shredded. I know a couple of friends of DeSoto that would just love those shirts. <laughs> These are amazing. Wow. What a couple of hunks. These are just printed on like regular like Bella canvas t-shirts and there's no like official licensing information on the tag. So I'm guessing that this is a bootleg. Yeah, someone made this art. That person is out there. I love that uh, the underwear store was willing to take a flyer on, on stocking these, you know? That's great. Were these the only two shirts in the underwear store? <laughs> Everything else was underwear and, and plugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Underwear, plugs, and two shirts. <laughs> well, this is great news, Adam. There's one in your size and one in my size, so uh, we can show up to Branica Cabanica at Star Trek Las Vegas this year in style. I may enter the pool party with that shirt, but I am not leaving with it. (laughs) I'll tell you that. I'm taking that shirt off as soon as possible. (laughs) Wow. Adam, our next package here is from Elijah in Leander, Texas. I wonder what pornography or pornography adjacent (laughs) gift awaits in this one. Yeah. This is bowling the turkey if we get porn now. Oh, it really is. Hello, Ben. Adam. Just wanted to say you guys know how much I enjoyed your old Friendly Fire podcast. I'm sad the show is over, but I guess I understand why. I could go into why I liked the podcast so much, but that would probably take too long. Just know, in my opinion, the Rambo First Blood Part 2 Boko episode is probably the finest 60 minutes in podcast history. As for the enclosed gift... It is something my girlfriend convinced me to create last year. I could go into why and how, but that would also probably take too long. I just hope you guys like it. If you don't, you can always just use it as proof to your wives that people actually listen to you. (laughs) I can use as much of that as I can get. (laughs) So nothing to lead me to believe that this isn't porn or porn adjacent. Yes. Not yet. Yeah. (laughs) Very well packaged items here. There's two of them. Oh, there's one for me and one for you, it looks like. Oh, good. One in your size and one in mine. (laughs) These are uh, framed images. Oh, boy. So, uh, we've got an homage to Friendly Fire. How about that? Looks like uh, we've got a Friendly Fire coffee mug boiling over because Alka-Seltzer has been dropped in the coffee. There's a uh, John Rambo commemorative candle next to a typewriter, a pack of cigarettes, a stack of DVDs, you know, a a bunch of Friendly Fire movies in this snack, and then uh, Boat Dad Weekly magazine Uh under all of it. (laughs) This is beautiful. Elijah, really nice work if this is your work. Should I open yours, Adam? Oh, yeah, let's see it. If it's different, I'd like to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Same image, so uh, one for each of us. Hey, really cool, really nice. Yeah. All right, two more packages here. Adam, this is our first international package uh, today. Maybe our last, probably our last. It's from A. Ma and M. Jackson Brown out of Kitchener, Ontario. And it's to us. Goes like this. Greetings from the Great White North. I was admiring some of my old Star Trek memorabilia and rediscovered these truly 90s artifacts and felt that the world, or at least our fellow viewers, needed to be reminded that they existed. Star Trek Pog! Sorry, I mean Star Discs. 
Enclosed is my small collection of said discs, including one unopened pack for your unwrapping pleasure. Also included is a small collection of other pogs and slammers, extra chaff, in case you and Adam felt like throwing down in a way not seen since 1995. This makes one wonder what other collectible fads could Star Trek have jumped on? TOS hula hoops? Voyager Beanie Babies? Enterprise Beyblades? Disco Brats? Prodigy Roblox? Leaving Latinum on the table, Paramount. Looking forward to the next Toronto show as always. Mark. P.S. And have some coasters too. Wow. This box is internally decorated with a Millhouse meme saying, Remember Star Trek? It's back in pog form. Wow. Great reference. And we've got uh, one of those tubes of pogs. I can't believe this. Mark's name written on there in a childlike hand that I assume means that this is something that has been like this for a long, long time. You know what? We got two packages of sex paraphernalia up top, and now we have a cylindrical object being being shown to the camera here. Really on theme. I was about to say I was shocked that a uh, snake wasn't leaping out of this cylinder at me. Yeah. But now that you say that, I'm more shocked that a dildo has not leaked out. Very surprising. Yeah. Did I say leaked out? I meant leaped out. <laughs> Snakes leap. Dildos leak. First pog here is a Geordie Star Trek TNG pog. We got a stack of these things. Wow. All different. Yeah. Look at them. Got uh, Klingon vessels. We've got computer pog. That's one you don't mind losing to your friend in a game of pogs, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did the pog trend uh, hit when you were the right age for, for the pog trend, Adam? It hit my younger brother. My younger brother's three years younger than I am, and it oh, hit yeah. him the way it did not hit me. It's surprising. Like, that could have been your degenerate gambler origin story, but it is not. No. No, my origin story is far different, far darker, <laughs> far more depraved. Deanna Troy, Pog, Stardisk, I guess. Wow, yeah. Oh, man, these are all officially licensed by Paramount Pictures. You should take the Tasha Yar one out and use it as a bookmark for that Playboy. <laughs> I wouldn't open your Playboy, Adam. My Playboy? <laughs> It's not mine. That's what you're going to tell your wife when she finds it. Yeah, Adam left this Playboy here. Yeah, we got a couple of slammers. These are the plastic kind. I always wanted Mm -hmm. the metal kind of slammer, but I I never got my hands on one. No. Man. No, so this is an area of interest for you from way back then, huh? vintage pogs, man, yeah. Vintage pogs, vintage porn. (laughs) Today (laughs) on the Code 47. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, let's see. We got uh, a pack of Star Trek cards. Should we open this real quick? Oh, yeah. All right. These are launch edition Star Trek. Oh, it's Star Discs. This is, uh, I guess, a. it's shaped like it's a pack of cards, but it's discs. Oh, I oh, see. Oh, it is. You punch them out. They come two to a board. Look at that. And uh, what do we got here? We got a Geordi. We got a Romulan. Oh, we've got Q and Picard from uh, sure Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. Oh, man. This is great. We've really got some tremendous pogs here. And a bunch of uh, cool Star Trek beverage coasters in addition. 
I love coasters. Yeah. Made out of the same material as the Pogs. Just uh, <laughs> laminated cardboard. Just <laughs> super absorbent for all the cold and sweaty drinks. Mark, thank you so much for this nostalgic gift. Okay. Final package. This is the biggest one we got from this mail hall. It's from Taylor K. in Newport, Oregon, it looks like. More than half of these packages have been either horny directly or indirectly horny. Yeah. Horny adjacent. What do you think this one's going to be? It's a big package, so it would have to be... It would have to be really horny. Huh. What's a big horny thing? I guess like an inflatable doll would be a big horny thing. An eight-inch classic dong? <laughs> I looked down and I could see the lipstick from my lips on the classic eight-inch yeah. dong. It's a long letter here. To Ben, Adam, Wendy, and Ben Tilly. Ben Tilly? It's Bill Tilly. Bill, 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 Bill. <laughs> oh, no. This is a long letter you are not obligated to read on the pod. Thank you for everything. Well, maybe uh, I'll read it out loud and we'll edit to a bridge. I've been wanting to send y'all something again for so long. This felt like the best time as your podcast once again came in to help make my life a bit better during some cruddy times. As I'm sure you can tell from the stuff, I'm that guy from the NOAA Corps that keeps thanking you for helping me realize and find this career, my latest billet parenthetically job change in NOAA had me move across country from the East Coast to an Alaskan ship, the Fairweather. The career move is great, and I am now the operations officer on the ship running the scientific mission. Ops officer equals data or that girl Picard dated for an episode when they played the flute in the tubes together. <laughs> oh, yeah. In this package, by the way, are a bunch of stickers from my new ship, some stickers from the Hurricane Hunters, another part of NOAA Corp., some hats, some sunglasses, postcards of the ship, some new shirts. Does his ship have a gift shop? <laughs> it sounds like it. That's amazing. Finally, I included four challenge coins for both of you and your new employees, Wendy and Bill. Oh, good. Again, thank you both so much. When I pin on my next pip, which would be going from lieutenant junior grade up to lieutenant, sending you two P1 messages as my wedding down. Again, thank you from a guy driving a ship a bit, but not too embarrassed to be listening to two guys a bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. Lieutenant junior grade, Taylor K, NOAA. Very kind letter, lieutenant. We got some hats for the uh, USS Fairweather. Look at that. That is a handsome hat. They do have a gift shop. Yeah. Some sunnies, some images of the ship itself. That's really cool. Great pictures. And there's the slammers I wanted, Adam. Wow. That's a big boy back there. Some challenge coins in there, some patches, some stickers. These are really cool. Neat. Really pretty. These are such cool shirts. Wow, I love those. Yeah. You know, uh, Taylor sent us uh, NOAA shirts in the past, and I wear them around occasionally, and people love seeing them. Like, people that know what an NOAA ship is are like, oh, man, are you in? Are, like, they want to know if I, you know, and I'm like... A little worried that there's some kind of National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration stolen valor issue going on. Yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't board a plane <laughs> early wearing that shirt. That's yeah, not right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when people thank me for my service, I'm always like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, just happy to be out here doing my thing. But there is that one random who walks by you, gives you double take, and he's like, 
My name's Noah, too. <laughs> that does happen. That does happen. Yeah. Should I try on these uh, these sunnies for for the cam? You know, for a hot second, Daron's name was almost N-O-A-A. Right. Yeah. It almost happened. I like those on you. You know what they look like is they look like cartoon eyes with the way the logo works. <laughs> yeah. It looks like you got big... Uh, like I'm sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, if I was a professional poker player, maybe this would be my look, you know. You look like one of the students in uh, Professor Jones's archaeological Ankylosaur. college class. Can't say that word. Archaeology class? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm batting my literal eyebrows at him. Yeah. Uh, with a little note. He's not trying to see you, Ben. Yeah, no. Be inappropriate. Uh-huh. You know, teacher-student relationship like that. Well, Adam, what do you say we get into today's episode? I cannot see anything right now because these uh, novelty sunglasses do not have my prescription in them. So uh, can, you, can you remind me what the title of the episode is? <laughs> I am scrambling to look up that information right now, Ben. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who sent us a gift on the Code 47. We really appreciate your thoughtfulness. We super do. And I'm uh, probably going to go enjoy this tax documents folder before we record the rest of the episode. Oh, that is no longer my magazine. That is your magazine. (laughs) I'm going to leave it in the Ziploc. I'm just going to like imagine what I think it could be like, you know? That's so gross. I want to think about that. <laughs> using my imagination? <laughs> I don't want to think about you using your imagination. <laughs> Just Ben with those weird glasses on and his AirPods in, like, mm. <laughs> as, like basically sensory deprivation, jacking it. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 6, Episode 8, One Small Step. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> and it's an episode directed by Robert Picardo, Adam. How about that? That credit certainly had me looking out for all of the people he would be made to kiss in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't actually happen. No. So we start, it's October 19th, 2032. A date that is tantalizingly close. Right? Do you believe that we'll have a fourth manned Mars mission in less than 10 years? I mean, my heart says one thing and my pessimism says another. (laughs) So you don't keep your pessimism in your heart? Not in the same place, no. Yeah, so this is the Ares 4 orbiter. Lieutenant John Kelly is the only person on it radioing down to a team on the ground about Buck Bokai coming up and smashing Joe DiMaggio's record. A record that has stood for so long. Yeah. This is kind of like routine mission pattern. Like how is the core sampling of the geological yada yada going peppered in with the like, I've gotten some some exciting updates about the world from the latest dispatches out of Houston. The other crew person is thinking he's doing giant thing on the radar bit. Whatever it is, it's huge. It's over a thousand meters across. How could something that big appear out of nowhere? John, you're doing big thing on the radar bits again, aren't you? We get it. This thing, when he looks out the window, it's huge. It sort of looked like a galaxy's child. 
did. Yeah. It is bigger than DiMaggio's record out there. Bigger than Fuck Bokai's baseball bat. I Look know. What? I know. I love this neat shot on his eyes reflecting the image of this thing. Very cool. Nice job, Robert Ricardo. This thing is uh, coming in hot, overtakes him. And then we're in Chicote's quarters where somebody's playing Ding Dong Ditch. Yeah. I just knew that, you know, Naomi Wildman was up to no good. I thought the same thing. <laughs> it's not Naomi Wildman. Nothing on the ship works anymore. It's a total fucking mess. Fuck! Even in the future, nothing works. There is a great take where he like is trying to radio up to see what's going on with this, and internal comms are all all messed up. Like he's hearing from different people all over the ship, and he's like trying to like take a sip of coffee and read a book while his comm unit just like flies off the handle. Chicote really looks like a defeated man. Tin man. <laughs> and he's relaxing the way everyone in Star Trek does. Like, <laughs> you either get to work or you get to read a book while sipping a hot beverage. And that's it. It's holodeck or this. Reading a book while sipping a hot beverage always looks amazing on TV, but I never think to do it in real life. Like, I was just going to ask you, do you ever make time for this? I read books a lot, but I, I never, I, I like read them in bed before going to sleep. I, I never like in the middle of the day, sit myself down and read a book. I married a TV before bed partner and she made it very clear early on that that is how it would remain. <laughs> <laughs> and I need to find secret book reading time yeah. if I'm to do it. I also married a TV before bed, and I bought her an iPad, and I said, if you can watch your shows on this, it would mean a lot to me. Wow. Wow. I want to try that. <laughs> I can really see the gears grinding in your mind right now. <laughs> I just don't think it would work. I think it would create more problems than, than it would solve, is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Hey, every relationship is a little bit different. Yeah. I loved the jump through the door because he, you know, when he tries to leave his quarters to go solve this problem, the door starts like guillotining on him. We've made this observation before, like fast motion is something you rarely see in Star Trek. And by that, I just mean someone moving fast, not something being filmed in a way to make it look fast. Like yeah. no one ever runs at full speed on Star Trek, but seeing Chakotay jump through this door was an exciting moment for that reason. You don't see people move like that. It's good. Yeah. I want the like rock back and forth gif of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, jump in, jump out, jump in, jump out. He goes directly to engineering, Chicote does, where he thinks he knows the source of the problem. And there she sits. It's seven of nine making enhancements to the computer core. I don't recall authorizing any modifications. The computer core is inefficient. It needed to be improved. And this is something he takes great umbrage with because she's clearly brought this up and been told, yeah, yeah, great idea, but we're not doing it right now and has just taken it upon herself to completely, you know, rework how the central computer of the ship works. And so all of these things that he's been experiencing are bugs in the workings of the central computer that she has determined are not relevant because it's going to make the overall functioning of the computer so much better. And I'm like, 
Internal comms and like the doors working would seem to be pretty critical features of a starship. Like what's getting better? It's so interesting that those systems are different from external comms, for example. Like, because the <laughs> the main thrust of the problem for the rest of the episode, that pretty much begins here. I was like, oh, it would be interesting if those problems carried forward and presented difficulties in having a successful mission here. But all of these issues are pretty much resolved when a banger gets dropped and Seven and Chakotay need to hightail it for the bridge. Some gravimetric distortions have brought this galaxy's child onto Voyager's doorstep, much like in the cold open. And not only is it like in the same part of space as them, it's following them. Pretty suspicious, if you ask me. Yeah. So Seven knows kind of what this thing is. She calls it Spatial Anomaly 521 and uh, explains that it's attracted to objects that emit electromagnetism. This immediately jogs Chakotay's memory of Ares 4. You know, they like recalibrate the shield so that it stops being a direct threat to the ship. And they're like, oh man, like this is just like the thing that got Ares 4. And they're really rare. And then the, like Janeway knows what it is. There's a, a human term for it. It's called a graviton ellipse. Chakotay and Paris very briefly go, yeah, this is a lot like the Ares 4 thing. Paris is like, wasn't that the day Buck Bokai broke Joe DiMaggio's record. Chakotay's like, holy shit, it was. <laughs> How great was Buck Bokai? Yeah. Janeway's like, very great. The greatest of all time. I know. I've played with them all. Ton of high fives around the bridge. Yeah. People still huge fans. Yeah. Big sports fans on the bridge. Very, very exciting exploration opportunity because this is an anomaly that has been described by science, but they are incredibly rare mm -hmm. and uh, they have an up close and personal way to explore it now because of the Borg tech that Seven has given them for making it not kill them. And so um, they're like, hey, let's launch a probe. Let's see what's going on inside this thing. And uh, pretty quickly, we're down in the ass lab getting telemetry from what's going on inside it. It's storm-like, isn't it? Because it's got all of this light and heat on the outside, but in the core, it's quiet, calm. Yeah. And Seven's like, I have a way to destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> and Tuvok's like, whoa. <laughs> Little fast on the destruction here. We have time to study. Isn't that time that we should take? And this begins an argument that Seven has throughout the episode about whether or not exploration and study is worth it in dangerous times. I thought this was an interesting, like for all of their wanting to get a bunch of shit from everyone else, the Borgs aren't actually that curious of a species. Yeah. She's like, yeah, like the this thing is just a hazard and we need to get rid of it because there's nothing about it that we can assimilate. So fuck this thing and... Tuvok is like, well, like, look at this. And they start looking at the list of materials that are coming back from the probe. And some of them actually coincide with the kinds of shit that the Ares 4 capsule would have been made out of. They're like, could it be that this anomaly is the same anomaly that got the Ares 4? And then they're like, nah, it couldn't be. Scan for Buck Bokai trading cards. <laughs> I know John Kelly was a fan. I heard you cheering. 
meant a lot to me. Of course, it's locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. They have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. And the beginning of the McLaughlin group is like, okay, here's what happened in the cold open of the episode. (laughs) It's like, yeah, we saw this part. All right. (laughs) What's next? And there's some excitement about the idea of actually going inside it. Sounds great. In a shuttle and uh, seeing if they can get a look at the at the capsule itself. When they start delegating who's going to be on the mission of going inside it, Harry Kim is heartbroken, right? This is one thing nearby that he won't be permitted to go in. Yeah, yeah. The, this is penetrating uh, an anomaly that very few have ever penetrated before. And when the mission goes to Chakotay, the camera pans below the table and you see Harry Kim snap a pencil in his fist. I thought that Janeway sort of did Chicote dirty in this episode too, though. Cause like she makes him say that he really wants to do the mission. She knows he really wants to do the mission. She knows he's like super excited about this whole thing. And she kind of makes him play the enthusiastic little boy instead of just putting him in charge of it. Yeah. I want him to want it in front of me. (laughs) How many bathtubs would you say this mission is worth to you, Chakotay? We do this a lot, and most of the time I pour a bowl of cold vegetable broth on his genitals. (laughs) No problem. I'm a vegetarian. Really? When the meeting adjourns, Seven sticks behind and, and she tells Janeway, this isn't worth it. It's too dangerous. And this is an opportunity for Janeway to wax romantic about what it feels like to explore things and that Seven may experience some of these feelings if she chose to participate in the mission. There's coffee in humanity's history. Take Tom Paris, for example. He explores his body with great elan. (laughs) (laughs) It's the way that I explore Chakotay. With bowl after bowl of differently temperatured vegetable broth. Through these explorations, we all become better people. (laughs) There was that one time I put Chakotay's hand into a warm vegetable broth while he was sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Then for some reason, Dr. Bashir showed up. We still don't understand how he was able to travel across the galaxy. Doctor, please. Whenever there's a urine-based emergency in the quadrant, (laughs) Dr. Bashir appears. Go to yellow alert. In the ass lab, Paris and Chakotay are prepping for this mission by watching a bunch of old footage from this mission. We've got, like, you know, shots of mission control and commander's logs from... Lieutenant Kelly's uh, command capsule. And I I really liked that they were kind of like nerding out with each other. Like they were, they were like, we both think there's rules, right? And really loving that they're going to get to learn a little bit more about what happened with this guy when Seven comes in here to just shit all over them. <laughs> Hero worship. The glorification of an individual's accomplishments. I guess you didn't have many role models growing up. It's a perfectly reasonable seven argument, right? She's like, I don't want to be here, but you guys have zero chance of mission success without me. So here I am. I guess I'm volunteering or whatever. Right. 
In Six Bay, the doctor gets his one and only scene, which isn't weird on the one hand because many actors who direct themselves in episodes give themselves very little acting to do. This is something you see a ton. But when the doctor requests that Seven takes the camera with her, I never saw the camera again. Did she not take it with her? She was supposed to take pictures, but she did not. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was a notable thread that remained untied off. Yeah. One other piece of information here that I thought was interesting was like, it's not just the Chakotay and Paris pressure of wanting to join the club that appreciates history and historical moments. What the doctor says in this scene is that everyone on the bridge is jealous of you. Everyone wishes they could go on this mission. (laughs) So you better start feeling something for that reason. Right. Like this is kind of a trope, right? Like the person who gets a thing that doesn't appreciate the thing that they got. Right. But they don't play it for the jealousy of everyone else. Like the the doctor really wishes he could go, but he's also not like butthurt about it. Right. So we cut on over to the mission beginning and it's on the Delta Flyer with Paris Chicote and Seven and Voyager watches through the sensors and not on screen and also through the communications link that they have. And after a rocky ride, the Delta Flyer finally gets to the eye. And one thing that I observed in this scene was that because it's just radio descriptions only, didn't it feel a lot like the moon landing communications of the early space program? And it wasn't that really neat how intentional that was. Yeah, because when we do see them on the flyer like we don't get to see what they're seeing yeah it's like them radioing it back i thought it was really nicely done yeah and like that patter of moon missions too like wasn't always serious and scientific they like it got a little quippy and fun sometimes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you get that here armstrong is like kind of rapturous and Mm -hmm. you know grandiloquent and then buzz aldrin's like kind of over it and jaded the way seven is (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I suppose it's intriguing. There's a really nice shot here that I wanted to call attention to. It starts on a single Janeway, and then it kind of rotates clockwise around her, and then focus gets pulled to Kim behind her when the sequence ends, and then back to the foreground with Janeway. I thought that was really nicely done. It's not often that you see a new way to cover some kind of banal action on the bridge you know like that's that's a long shot that also ends in a banger yeah which means you know i i assume that they covered it on a steady cam but i mean that's like a yeah like a non-trivial camera move with a whole bunch of lines that need to get nailed in the sequence and yeah uh, it was really nicely done if you're gonna do it you want to do that with kate mulgrew like that was the the right character to pull that off with yeah So there was some talk at the beginning of the episode, like we have 16 hours before this anomaly goes back into subspace and is never seen again. And now that the Delta Flyer is in, they have several hours to explore and like beam shit aboard and learn as much as they can. And Seven is like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really into like all the stakes being taken out of the episode. I I think we should just like, you know, grab that module and get the fuck out of here. (laughs) <laughs> and that is a tension that is throughout the episode that she wants to get down to business and Chicote and Paris don't. Yeah. 
Because searching for the module will take a long time, but they are going to like beam aboard other stuff in the meantime. And Jakote is really excited. Like they find these fossilized metallic microbes, which is something that was previously only theoretically possible. And now they have samples that prove it's actually happened. They look at this thing through a microscope and they see like a little metallic man climbing a wall, (laughs) like really fast. Yeah, it's so fast. <laughs> Only the suit looks a little too heavy to stay on there. Yeah. He's using like magnetism to climb the wall that he built. Yeah. Very crucially, he built the wall. This is actually my ground. Chicote talks to Seven a little bit about how paleontology was his first love. And he's like, you know, terrorism just kind of got in the way of it, all of that. And I got, you know, sucked down a rabbit hole. But, uh, Yeah, I got into Starfleet because of my love of paleontology, not of terrorism. Right. He asked her if she ever had like a childhood dream, something she wanted to become. And she was like, oh, yeah, what was it? It wasn't terrorist. (laughs) Mm. Oh, yeah, ballerina. Maybe it's not too late. That Chakotay really feels like a piece of shit after this, right? (laughs) She's like, I got sidetracked being a drone in like a, you know, race of hegemonizing cybernetic marauders. So I guess we both kind of got off track in our lives in a way. You know, unless you've been a ballerina, you wouldn't appreciate this comparison. But I really found wearing toe shoes as uncomfortable as being assimilated. (laughs) You just never get comfortable wearing all that stuff. I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. I've I've got to get that platinum. You've just drunk gold. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. 
And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. So they find the module, and it's intact. And this is great news, but back on Voyager, we find out that a dark matter asteroid is inbound. What does this thing want? D-M-A! And it's going to attract the anomaly and... It's going to be a big wallop when they hit. So they radio up, uh, hey, guys, uh, adventure over. Come on home. And Chakotay does not like this. He, he does not like that they're not going to get to bring the module with them. They just fucking found it. Commander, we're not leaving without that module. Are you on Chakotay's side here? Really made me think a lot. Because the episode does so much to emphasize that being on Voyager is not just about doing missions, but it's being an explorer and a scientist and so forth. This is what Chakotay is doing. There's a tension between like the hierarchy of the pseudo military system and like the desire yeah. to explore. And it's fully present in this scene. It's interesting. Cause like the pace and the sequence of events from this moment are, you know, it, we have four minutes to get out. That's mm -hmm. how long they have until this asteroid hits. And he goes like, okay, throw the tractor on the module. We're taking it with us. And I feel like Tom and Seven spending time protesting this order that overrides something that they just heard the captain tell him is about as much time as they would have needed to just get it done. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Get it done. I think part of it, too, is that Chakotay isn't fully aware of what's going on. Like, Chakotay consults the computer, and it's like, a dark matter asteroid is made <laughs> out of matter with an extreme amount of gravity. <laughs> and they whip pan over to Seven, and she's like, what? You get a tractor beam? The Ares module? We don't have enough time! You're gonna kill somebody! 
<laughs> so uh, he overrides them. They're trying to get this thing out. And as they go through the kind of outer edge of the anomaly, Chakotay catches some warf lightning for his trouble. This huge banger hits the ship and the engines are destroyed. And now, like, they have no comms, no engines, no nothing on the Delta Flyer. And they're stuck inside. And they only have two hours left before the anomaly slips into subspace and they're, like, stranded forever. Yeah. The stakes have gotten really high in a very short amount of time. Not good. Not good. And it's all Chakotay's fault. The issue of guilt, I think hangs so heavy on this episode from here on and that Chakotay never apologizes. What do you make of Chakotay dealing with that part of it? Like, cause he's laid up and he's yeah. with an angry seven. And like, I think ordinarily you would, there would be a moment there where you drop rank and go like, I, I just got excited. Like I'm an explorer. I'm, you see, I'm trying to explain this to you. Yeah, We're all explorers out here. You're the weird one. Instead, he wakes up and is like, the module. And she's like, shut up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're in trouble. And he's like, he's like, have you tried this? And she's like, yes, we tried that. He's like, have you thought about like rerouting EM power? And she's like, <laughs> He's doing that thing that happens all the time where like the person who caused the problem starts presenting solutions to the problem they caused and everyone caught up in the fixing of the issue is like, stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> You're not helping. And furthermore, we don't want your help. She like throws a pad at him with the damage report on it and is like, do a little studying before you open your mouth next time. Yeah. Very funny. Like, he's like, hey, say what the situation is again without the attitude. And she like doubles down. <laughs> Fuck you, Chakotay, for that. (laughs) That was shitty, I thought. Yeah. Hey, here's a question for you. When this anomaly goes back into subspace, is it like Event Horizon going back into hell? Like, is is it only an emergency to them because they will be gone from Voyager and somewhere that is a mystery to them at this point? Or do people die in subspace? I don't know. I mean, I thought that the ship went into subspace when it went to warp, but maybe you need a warp field to protect yourself from subspace. This is the Star Trek science I started thinking about at the time. I was Because no one ever says, like, we'll never see them again. It's almost unstated what the danger is. And it felt to me like maybe it was just they were going to go somewhere that they couldn't predict. She tore a hole in our universe, gateway to another dimension. And Chakotay, if you're a true explorer... Maybe that's what you want. You clearly don't have a shot with Janeway anymore. He's pretty bruised up. He does start to look a little bit like he needs a liberate me moment Yeah. toward the end of this episode. And maybe he would be easier on the eyes for everyone around him if they didn't need eyes to see. <laughs> oh my God. So they have a... McLaughlin group over Zoom. Yeah. Issue two. They get comms back, and this McLaughlin group is about, like, what are we going to do to get them out? And there's, like, a bit of an Apollo 13 energy to this, like, mission control trying to talk the module through, like, a fix. Mm -hmm. And BLT comes up with the idea that there's an ion distributor over on the Ares 4 module that could be reworked to 
fix the thing that is broken in the flyer and get their engines back online. And so seven of nine is going to be the one that actually has to beam over to the module to get it because if Tom does it, then they don't have a pilot on board. Yeah. What a pickle. And that it has to be seven feels like the the greatest injustice of all time to Chakotay. Yeah. And the changing room on the Delta Flyer is the same as the infirmary on the Delta Flyer because it's a small ship. So she has to get into the spacesuit in the same room that he's lying on a bed. And it's weird, like changing rooms across the centuries always have that problem where like no matter how hard you jerk the curtain, Mm -hmm. the curtain never meets the wall cleanly. And like you never want to be in a changing room where Chakotay is jerking a curtain. (laughs) One of our more interesting missions. So Seven beams over. After getting the order from her commanding officer, like, hey, enjoy the historical moment that you're about to step into. As soon as Seven beams away, Chakotay gets back down to curtain jerking. (laughs) (laughs) She materializes in the module. I thought it was very interesting how they handled the remains of Lieutenant Kelly in this. Like, we see the hand, but we never see the, like, you know, the joint compound daubed onto the skeleton corpse prop you know, you really need to have great corpse confidence to like show face here. Yeah. And I'm glad they didn't. I thought it was like artful that they didn't because it's sort of about them honoring like a, a kindred soul from, yeah. from Earth's past. And Seven, you know, puts a gadget on the wall and, and it fires up his logs from after he was inside the anomaly. So she starts to work on this piece of equipment that she's there to to pick up. But these logs kind of play over the comms on the flyer. And then we start to kind of cut back into the past and see these logs from his perspective as he was recording them. There are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. What do you make of Seven never telling them that the body's there. Like, is there so much excitement to hear these log entries? Seven's never like, boy, if you're excited about that, you should see what I'm seeing. <laughs> and then she just hears over the comm in her helmet, Paris and Chicote, who would both have loved to be there until they hear this, just going, Hur! Hur! oh, God. Hur! In order to create that scene, Seven has just shown face, but then she like tilts the camera down and it's clear that uh, Lieutenant John has used the last of his oxygen to jack it. <laughs> this time, no regrets. That's like the ultimate nut, right? Oh, yeah. You're on a space capsule and you're running out of oxygen. You don't need the bag and the belt at that point. Why was he jerking curtain? He was alone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you don't need to be jerking curtain when you're the only crew person on that space capsule. I like the moment where he just sees like a chunk of debris and he realizes that he's seeing another spacecraft or like a piece of another spacecraft out there. And he's realizing like, I'm not alone in the universe. Like whatever this is has gotten me and has gotten other species too. But there's nothing he can do about that. Do you think they thought about making that ship... Something familiar? <laughs> yeah, it's like like a Ferengi corpse 
tumbles by and it's frozen. Yeah, I thought a lot about that. And I wonder if they did too. Yeah. About how bizarre to make that moment. But it's a ship of unknown origin. Before Seven gets over and we see the hand in his crash couch, I really thought that they were going to have him be in a tube, frozen. Yeah, because you do get that a lot in Star Trek, don't you? And a lot lately in Voyager. Yeah. So I I really thought that that's where this was going to be headed. And I I like that this goes in such a different direction. You get unfrozen caveman astronaut being woken up after (laughs) the frost is wiped away from his tube. He's like, listen, I don't understand your transporter beams and your warp nacelles. I'm a simple Ares 4 astronaut. I use a type 3 ion drive. My primitive mind can't grasp these concepts. You gotta give me the box score from the Kings game. (laughs) It's the only thing I care about. So Seven gets the gadget, and like as she's doing this, it's pretty clear from the logs that Lieutenant Kelly sort of like descended into a certain amount of madness. Like he he tried to rescue himself at, at some point and failed and you know, is resigned to the fact that he's going to die, but also feels like this misadventure kind of proves out the urge of humans to go to the stars. If you're on a space mission and the odds aren't looking good for your survival, I think the very worst thing you can do is pick up a picture of you and your loved one. I mean, that's just a death sentence, right? (laughs) You see it all the time. Don't touch the picture. That's the space mission equivalent of coughing up a little bit of blood. I know. You're fucking doomed the second you make physical contact with that Polaroid. Yeah. No good. Well, at the last minute, Seven decides not only to bring back the ion drive thing, but also to download the database. And uh, she also slaps her comm badge on Lieutenant Kelly's onesie and uh and just like shatters it (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's been in there for hundreds of years and it just explodes into like a really gross kind of dust extremely fine yeah pink dust (laughs) (laughs) she comes back with the corpse they get this gizmo plugged in and they're like there's a great exciting escape sequence where they get out just in time like the the voyager has to tractor them at the last minute before the subspace hole opens and sucks the anomaly in one camera move really doesn't work for me in this episode and that is the q throne bouncy cam above the nav station as blt and janeway are working on this problem during the climactic moment oh you didn't like that that really bumped me is what it did it's very handheld. Yeah. It feels handheld and held over someone's head. Yeah. I think that the goal of that is to make it feel kind of frantic, which, you know, the the handheld shot often does. But um But a frantic handheld shot should be closer than that. Like a wide shot, I think, ruins the effect. Hmm. In my mind. Yeah. Well, they make it out. Seven holds up that tricorder as they watch the uh, the whole close up and i really felt the one is none risk of that like that amazing database that they would never have gotten a chance to access is like the only copy of it's on that tricorder yeah yeah 
And in Janeway's log, she is pretty psyched about all of the information she's got available that they get to go through. But first, a eulogy. Yeah. They have this funeral on the bridge, which I've never seen before. Yeah. I wonder if that was all about the honor they were trying to convey to John Kelly. Like, if you're anyone else, you're a mess hall funeral. (laughs) But if you're a historical figure and a hero and an inspiration, you get yours on the bridge. So Janeway speaks and then Seven speaks. And uh, it's pretty clear that Seven has learned a lot today. The spirit of exploration has, to some extent, infected her. And uh, we get to see Chakotay and the EMH listening in from Six Bay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, bad for Chakotay. Like, Chakotay's definitely in trouble after this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, we don't get to see him getting in trouble with the captain, but, like, for sure, that happens later. I really love how everyone sort of winces when Seven begins her eulogy because she does this in a very Seven kind of way. Mm -hmm. I did not know this individual. And if you don't know her, you might think she's doing bits. And (laughs) I was listening to a podcast where one of the questions was like, how do you do a good wedding officiant job? Uh Uh-huh. And one of the tips for that was like, always make sure that you ask the people getting married whether or not bits are welcome for that moment or if they just want it serious or if they just want it a certain way, like always check. Yeah. And for Seven to do a eulogy without checking for bits first, (laughs) like without getting the okay, I think is a very funny moment for her. (laughs) But she can only ever be who she is. And these aren't bits to her, you know? These are bits to everyone else. Yeah, because what defines a bit is, to some extent, the sincerity of the person doing it, right? Exactly. I try to explain myself to my wife in that way. It's just my personality. (laughs) Let me tell you something, Ben. That is not a good explanation for the way I am. That's not how it works. It's not how any of this works. So they beam the coffin to the photon torpedo launcher and then launch him from there? Yeah. Or are there pallbearers that take him physically through, like, they take him to the... uh, That's the longest 17 seconds they're ever going to spend. Yeah. They take him to the lift and they, like, have to tilt up the torpedo (laughs) to fit it in there. (laughs) They just hear him slump against one end of the coffin. (laughs) Whatever wasn't powder when... Seven slapped the com badge to his shoulder, becomes mm. powder yeah. on that lift ride. Yeah. Tom Paris is like, did they cremate him? They're like, no. <laughs> That's just the texture he was. Did Seven take off his wedding ring? <laughs> <laughs> She's just like wearing it on her pinky for the rest of the series. It would be fun as hell if like in the cargo bay, like she's got some personal items there. One of them is that guy's ring. (laughs) Mission patch. Yeah. Wedding ring. Where'd you get these? Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I did. I really liked this episode. I think this episode kept surprising me in the kind of direction it took itself and that it was a really sweet episode about space exploration and like the human spirit and the 
idea of being alone and knowing you're going to die and the and how you want to make that last rope happen right yeah (laughs) just which curtain you want to jerk when like i mean that's when you're truly alone like that yeah i mean you could say that when you're truly alone for the last time you don't have to go to the jerking curtain yeah but um i thought it was also a really nice seven character episode i think that the thing that's kind of tricky about writing the character of seven is like we don't really know what it's like to be a drone you know in the like tng episodes that introduce the borgs so seven is a bit of a tabula rasa in terms of like her describing what it's like and they keep coming up with like really interesting if this then this moments for that character like yeah, if she was a drone, she probably wouldn't care that much about going and seeing something for the first time or like learning a really interesting piece of human history. Because like, who cares? Like, we want biological and technological distinctiveness, not history. You said something really interesting about it being a good seven episode, you know, due to growth. But my feeling was like, I thought it was unfortunate that Seven was portrayed as kind of a nagging partner about the hobby she doesn't understand and doesn't necessarily approve of. Mm -hmm. I had a hard time not disliking her for that moment because it really does feel like boys club against Seven in a, why can't you understand like uh, how cool the space mission was and how much we look up to this spaceman or whatever. Like, Maybe it was the gang up feeling of that that made me feel that way. Mm -hmm. But it is better that she came to her own conclusions at the end, not because of the gang up, but because she truly grew to appreciate what happened because she was there to, you know, witness that in person. You know, she got to beam over to history and see how that went down. Like she grew on her own without being you know, harangued by these crew people into it. I think that's good. She, her own harangued her way into history. Yeah. This is one of those episodes, though, that is very like, isn't Star Trek great? And isn't space travel great? And isn't exploring space great? Like, it's a very pro-Star Trek worldview show. It is. And I'm down for anything that's pro-Star Trek. Yeah, absolutely. Because I am pro-Star Trek, Adam. We are a pro-Star Trek podcast. And we are also a pro-Priority One message podcast. Should we head over to the inbox and see what's going on in there? Oh, Ben. Oh, no. These are frozen. Don't touch them too hard. (laughs) It could break into a million pieces. Yeah. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message is from past Zach, and it's to future Zach. It goes like this. Here in March 2023, you've just quit your job at a Dominion-esque tech conglomerate and are using your unemployment to finally get caught up on TGG. Hopefully by now you've found work that aligns with your values and are watching episodes of Voyager contemporaneously with Ben and Adam. Congrats on this exciting new chapter. Wow, future Zach, I hope past Zach has called the shot and uh, and you are in, in fact doing something more closely aligned with what you want to do. I love this for Zach. Taking the shot. Yeah. 
you got to take the shot. It's a big risk, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that using your fun employment to catch up on our show is a great use of your time. I'm just going to put that out there. But I think the entire system, and I'm gesturing broadly for the friends of DeSoto watching at home, <laughs> is set up to make you feel safest, you know, right where you are and not taking risks, especially with your career. Yeah. So I want to encourage people to uh, follow their, their value systems, like pass Zach here. Yeah. Good job, pass Zach. Because it, it creates a better future for both Zach and everyone else when you do that. Yeah. Way to go. If I didn't take a risk, we wouldn't be doing this show. That's true. Same goes for you. I think that we do this show in spite of our values, not because of them. Very true. Ben, our second priority one message is from Peter. It is to Aaron, she who is my loving wife. That message goes like this. Aaron, in honor of our 10-year wedding anniversary, I love you more than ever. Can't wait to continue our journey. I'm so glad you also love this show, Greatest Trek, and let's drink about it. Hey! To Adam and Ben, thank you so much. You probably can't get Lizzie and Chris back together for this P1, but if you're willing, we need a drink to celebrate. Oh, man. 10-year wedding anniversary. I mean... You know what? There is a Let's Drink About It show that you could ask this question of. Yeah, that's true. A, a doppel show. <laughs> yeah. That's stolen your graphics. Yeah. That's stolen your concept. Yeah, so we recently discovered a, a podcast slash, I guess, like YouTube slash Instagram show. Yeah. That just helped themselves to the name and the graphic of Let's Drink About It, but whatever. I'm trying to think of a cocktail on the fly for uh, Peter and Aaron. Ten years is great. Yeah. Congratulations, first of all. Maybe like a French 75. That's a cocktail with a little champagne in it. I love that idea. Great call. That's a very festive cocktail. Yeah. Not difficult to make either. No, and I feel like you want some bubs in that celebration cocktail, you know? Agreed. You can really stretch your champagne a long way in a French 75. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. I remember actually making a French 75 for an episode of Let's Drink About It that I recorded from a hotel room in Seattle, and I had to go buy a bottle of champagne in, like, downtown Seattle at, like, 9 a.m. because that was when we were recording. And I, I went into, like, three different convenience stores before I found one that had champagne in stock, and the guy was looking at me sideways like, what? Why are you in here in, like, board shorts and flip-flops buying a bottle of champagne in the morning? Like, what kind of alcoholic are you? You're a guy that likes a weekday brunch. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> so it would seem. Well, anyways, if you'd like to get a priority one message, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and get one set up today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I did. I'm going to give it to the EMH. Picardo only has two scenes in this episode, and the second scene is the one that the Shimoda is for. The EMH can come to the bridge for the funeral. Sure can. But the EMH does not. The EMH like, just stands in six bay. 
<laughs> I thought that was really funny. Do you think that's passive aggression? Like to shit on Chakotay even more? <laughs> There's nothing I'd love more than to be a part of history during this funeral. But instead I'm stuck with the guy who caused this whole mess. Yeah. It's got to be something like that. Yeah. The fact that he's just uh, standing there next to the bio bed, standing at attention, really made me laugh. I thought that was a funny moment. So he's my drunk Shimoda. How about you? I'm going to make mine seven for the eulogy. What a moment <laughs> to think that you can follow the captain of the ship. <laughs> yeah. The fucking balls on her for that. It is a bit like being really drunk at the wedding and the maid of honor has just made her speech and Seven gets up and is like, hold on, I got one thing to add. I just, <laughs> you know. It is funeral bridesmaid energy. Yeah. It's incredible. And you got to be sure when you shoot that shot, you're going to hit it. Yeah. Because great moment not cutting back to Janeway here for the what the fuck that I think <laughs> anyone would have in a moment like this. You know when you're the captain of the ship, there's a couple of things you need to do. Always make sure your your uniform's crisp and wrinkle-free. Always go down with the ship. And always get the last word yeah. at a funeral. That would be nice. Yeah. Well, good Shimoda, Adam. Yeah. At this point in the episode, I got to head over to gach.biz slash game, don't I? Sure do, Ben. That's where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. Next week, we will be reviewing season six, episode nine, The Voyager Conspiracy. Seven uncovers a conspiracy to keep Voyager stranded in the Delta Quadrant. On the game board, we're on square 51. Looks like we could hit a... Canar with Damar or a caretaker square, depending on what I roll. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone to see what we got in store for next week's episode. Adam, I rolled a six. Tula! Did I win? Hardly. Jumping us over both of those, we're on square 57. Regular episode next week. Whoa. How about that? How about it? I was not predicting that at all. You know, we had a one in three chance of doing something weird, and we didn't. Amazing. <laughs> Shocked by that. <laughs> but uh, regular episodes tend to get weird all on their own, Ben. It's true. It's true. Well, I'm excited to get weird with you next week. In the meantime, we got to say thanks to all the friends of DeSoto who support the show on a monthly basis at MaximumFun.org slash join. If you're enjoying all that bonus content we put in the feed once a month, it's a real pleasure to make that stuff for you, and it's a pleasure to make this show for all of you. So thanks to everyone who listens, and uh, if you're looking for a free way to support the show, how about post on social media about it or uh, leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts to let people know why you like it. Hey, that's a great idea. Drop a star on the show on Overcast. That's easy. Yeah. Follow our YouTube account. Last I looked, we were really close to 3,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. That's amazing. It'd be really exciting to get up over a big number like that. Of course, you can watch the Code 47 from the beginning of this episode there if you want to see all the stuff we opened up. Oh, yeah. That's big fun. And we're posting episodes on our YouTube channel every week as well. So uh, if you want to listen in a tab in your browser at work, subtly, you could do that. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. Hopefully you work in a workplace that doesn't block YouTube. 
Hopefully you don't work in a bullshit workplace. Yeah. Our workplace is uh, grateful to have Windy Pretty as a producer-editor, Bill Tilly, social media manager. Adam Ragusea, who made the original theme music for the show, and Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song. That's right. Very lucky to have so many great folks working with us. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager in which Adam starts to suspect that there's a conspiracy to make him be a Star Trek podcaster for the rest of his life. I can think of no worse fate. (laughs) That would truly make me the Chief O'Brien of (laughs) Greatest Gen. Make it so. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.